If you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 103. Psalm 103, found on page 594. We're only going to be focusing on verses 10 through 13, but let's read the, the entire chapter. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant, and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Self-forgiveness is a big uh, rage in pop psychology today. I did a quick search on Amazon this past week and just typed those words in. I got 8,000 8, hits, whatever you want to call it, things I, books I could have read, articles I could have checked out. Clearly, this is something a lot of people deal with. Yet the interesting thing about it is the Bible doesn't mention this, doesn't talk about self-forgiveness at all. There are no verses telling us that we need to do this. Sure, there's a second great commandment, and that calls us to love ourselves just as we love our neighbors. And that implies a lot of self-love and, and, and even self-care. And yet the whole of the Bible message... It, it, it almost seems to speak opposite of that. It's a call to deny yourself, to focus on God, not yourself, to practice humility, not by thinking more of yourself, but by thinking less. But still, we all have those moments when we cringe over the things we've done, the things we've said, maybe the things we didn't do. We know we were wrong. We've talked to God about it. We've admitted it. 
confessed it, even received God's forgiveness about our sins. And yet sometimes something still lingers on in our our consciousness, casting blame deep down inside us, telling us that we're worthless, that you're no good. Many ways I think it's easier to forgive others than it is to actually forgive ourselves. Some years ago, the Denver Zoo decided that their polar bear needed a bigger exhibit to live in. And, and, and so they decided they were going to make him a big cage that, that better reflected his real habitat. They even made this huge pool for the polar bear to, to swim in. So they sedated the, the polar bear and they put him in a smaller cage so that they could work on the bigger cage, the enclosure. The cage really wasn't that big. The polar bear could take about four good-sized steps one direction. Then he actually had to stand up, turn around, and take four steps in the opposite direction. Stand up, do the same thing. And that's what he did over and over again for three months. That's how long it took him to build this enclosure. Eventually, the enclosure was finished. And so they sedated the polar bear again. They got him out of his cage. What do you think the polar bear did? Even though he was free and he could go anywhere in that enclosure, he took four steps, he stood up, and he went the other direction. Took four steps, stood up again. Took him quite a while to get over it. He was free physically, but mentally he was still a captive, wasn't he? To that cage he had been in for so many months. Sadly, I think that's the way many Christians treat their salvation in Jesus. You repent of your sins, confess them. You know that Jesus has forgiven you, but somehow you get trapped in shame. You get trapped in that guilt. And you have a hard time letting it go. And when you're unable to let it go, you end up remaining a slave to it. When Christ's forgiveness is something you know and not something you live out, your mistakes have a a way of playing over over and over in your minds, almost like a broken record. I know for the kids, you don't know what records are, but there were things called records that could get scratched. Anyways, it's like a broken record, isn't it? It just keeps playing over and over and over in our, our brains, and sometimes we have such a hard time. Letting that go. You believe Jesus could never love somebody like you, given what you had done. You think to yourself, look who I've hurt. How could could Jesus possibly want me to be his child? Look at what I didn't do. Look at the hurt I caused my family or my children or coworkers or friends. When you can't love yourself, it's hard to receive the love of others. Or the opposite is true as well. Your pride keeps you from even acknowledging your sin, and it keeps you from asking for forgiveness, or if that forgiveness is offered, from accepting it and making it your own. Maybe some of you this morning are are struggling with guilt, but you don't really know what to do about it. And so let me encourage you by showing you a number of things from our text 
There's so many things we could focus on, but I'm just going to focus on, on three of them. And I hope you'll be encouraged. And it'll enable you to trust your Father in heaven, to release your sins once and for all, and to walk in the forgiveness of Jesus. And so the first thing I want to point out is found in verse 11. We need a new appreciation of God's love. The psalmist said, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. How far are the heavens above the earth? Long ways, isn't it? Do you know that some years ago, um, scientists, a scientist, thought he saw the very edge of the universe? The very edge. And there's a lot of celebration that they had finally done it. But then they put that new uh, telescope um, in, into orbit, you might remember, a while back. And, and suddenly they could see farther and clearer than they ever had done before. And what they thought was the end of the universe was just the beginning of another galaxy. That's how far, how high God's love is. Higher than the heavens are above the earth. How high is that? It's endless. Oh, there's a limit I'm sure that God can see, but we can't. It's limitless. That's how much he loves you. The way he demonstrated that love for you, he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for all your sins, to take them away. Despite what man would do to Jesus, despite how they treated him, despite nailing him to a cross, Despite all that he had to endure, he willingly did it out of his love for you and me. God sent his one and only son because he loved us so much and wanted us to be with him forever in eternity. This kind of love is just indescribable, isn't it? How do you, how do you wrap your mind around it? It's, it's almost impossible. And yet that's the love that your Father in heaven has for you. Second truth, our passage proclaims of what God has to do with his forgiveness. Do you remember what Jesus proclaimed about himself that day he was asked to read scripture in the sanctuary? Luke 4 tells us that he read from Isaiah 61, and this is what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, and to release the oppressed. And then what did Jesus say afterwards? After he finished reading that passage, today scripture has been fulfilled in your presence, in your hearing. That's why Jesus has come, to bring healing to our lives, to free us from the things that once held us slaves. Christ offers you a new life, free from the control of sin, and free even from guilt. When you stand in Christ, you don't ever have to hide, because your guilt has been taken away. In our text, the psalmist says in verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far as you removed our transgressions from us. Christ showed us how far the east was from the west. When he died on the cross, didn't he? As he stretched out his arms, that's how much he loved you. And that's how 
That's how he took away your sins. As far as the east is from the west, he's removed our sins from us. God chooses to remember our sins no more. Instead, he chooses only to remember the righteousness of his son covering over us. You kind of wonder, how in the world could God forget our sins? Can he? God is God. He remembers everything. He knows everything. Maybe a better way to put this is, rather than forget our sins, he chooses not to remember our sins anymore. And so every time he looks at you, he only sees the blood of his son Jesus. He sees his righteousness. Think about this. If you have honestly brought all your sins to the foot of the cross, you've given it to Jesus, repented of your sins, you've been walking in a new direction in Christ, where then is that guilt coming from? How can that guilt remain in our lives? Is it from God? Well, good guilt can come from God. God will use guilt to draw us closer to him to make us recognize our sins, but we're not talking about that kind of guilt here. I think the guilt that we struggle with that makes us feel guilty, that doesn't come from God, that comes from our sinful flesh, that comes from the evil one who's trying to squash you and keep you small and make you feel like God doesn't love you. He doesn't want anything to do with you. Look at what you've done. Look at how you treated that person but it's a lie from the evil one. He loves us with an everlasting love. He's taken away our sins, removed them from us as far as the east is from the west. It just goes on and on and on. He promises to throw your sin into the deepest ocean to remove it from you. He chooses to remember it no more. In the Disney movie, The Lion King, the shocked and sad little lion cub is told by his uncle Scar that he's responsible for his dad's death. Scar smothers Simba with guilt, even adding that these words, what would your mother think if she found out what you had done? When the future king asks, what should I do? Remember what Scar replied? Run away. Run away. I think we're still doing that, aren't we? When we feel that guilt, we want to run away. Run away from others. We want to isolate ourselves. But for those of you who've ever watched this movie, is Simba really guilty? No. Is he responsible for his father's death? Nope. But he felt guilty all the same which led him down a path that separated him from his family, separated him from his pride. He tried to deny his feelings, tried to deny them, and it it, it didn't matter. But it still controlled him. But what finally helped Simba get over that guilt? It was the truth. He found out the truth. And it's the same for us. We need to see ourselves as God sees us, 
standing in the righteousness of Jesus. The devil doesn't want you to see that. But we've been made righteous in Christ Jesus. All your sins have been taken away, past, present, future. What a thing to celebrate this morning. All your sins have been taken away. And I've said this before, why do we have to keep asking for forgiveness each day? It's not because you're afraid you're going to go to hell. But what happens is sin gets in, our, in the way of our, our walk with the Lord, and, and we want to be like this, but as long as that sin is there, it, it, it blocks it. But in Jesus Christ, there's forgiveness. It's a forgiveness we'll know for eternity, forever, but it's a forgiveness we can also live out even now. Some of you have been carrying guilt for a long time. And you know what? It's time to lay it down. It's time to let it go. Why hold on to it another minute? Christ has freed you from that guilt so that you might serve. Why hold on to it? Last truth we're going to celebrate about God in this passage is God's compassion. David says in verse 13, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Actually, the word merciful in verse 8 could also be translated as compassion. The ESV says it's merciful and gracious, but you might remember the NIV. It said the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, bounding in love. It's the same idea. The compassion of the Lord. Clearly, David, clearly, uh, um, David has Moses in mind here as he says those words. Those words of, of that verse might sound a little familiar, and it's because it, they're actually really famous. Something that God spoke Himself at Mount Sinai. You might remember that He said to Moses when He hit him in the cleft of the rock and He covered him with His hand, and then He revealed himself. At least he got to see a glimpse of his glory, but he also proclaimed his name to Moses. And what did he say? The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. It's almost like David had those words in mind as, as he said that in Psalm 103. It's because of, the, of this characteristic of God is compassion and mercy, rooted in his love that he forgives our sins and satisfies us with good things. You know, one of my favorite stories in the Bible about God's compassion and forgiveness is found in John 21. And that's the story of when Jesus restores Peter. You might remember, despite Peter's bravado and, I'll never deny you, Lord, I'll never. He did it three times, didn't he? And then the rooster crowed. Can you imagine how devastated he must have felt when he heard that rooster crow? As he felt that guilt, knowing what he had done, that he had denied his Lord? Guilt must have flooded his mind and soul. Now fast forward a week. Jesus appears to the disciples, but not to Peter specifically. He just appeared to all the disciples. But you can just 
Imagine how Peter was hurting. That guilt was weighing heavy on his heart, on his soul. He needed to talk to Jesus. And that's what happened on the beach that morning. He and some other disciples, they were fishing. And remember, Jesus came out there. They didn't recognize him. He was a stranger. And he gives these seasoned fishermen some advice on where to go fishing. I'm sure they kind of rolled their eyes like, yeah, really? Cast the net on the other side of the boat. But when they did that, John notes, 153 large fish were caught. John identifies the stranger as Jesus. He was recognized then. And so what does impulsive Peter do? Jumps in the water, swims to shore. He couldn't wait for the boat to reach the shore, but he jumps right in. And after breakfast, Peter and Jesus, they have this little one-on-one time where Jesus questions Peter's devotion to him. And Peter answers with, with the affirmative. But notice how Jesus sets the stage of this. How many times does he ask Peter if he loved him? Three times. One time for every time that Peter had denied him. Another fact there that, that we don't often catch is Jesus is actually cooking a meal over some charcoal. That's the second time in the Bible that it talked about charcoal. Where's the first time? When Jesus, when, when, when Peter denied Jesus. When he was in the high priest's courtyard. It talks about a, um, a charcoal fire. And again, I think Jesus is bringing that up. It's the only two places in the Bible that talks about a charcoal fire. But Jesus brings that up because he wants Peter to connect what he's saying to what had, what had happened. Clearly, Jesus is making a point here. By reminding Peter of that earlier denial, and, and even though it must have been difficult for Peter to hear, no, none of us like to have our sins pointed out to us, the mistakes that, that we've made. Yet the goal here is not that Jesus wants Peter to feel bad or guilty. He's trying to restore him. He's showing him forgiveness. He's showing him compassion. His message to Peter is unmistakable. Peter, not, not only do I forgive you, Jesus says, but I still have work for you to do. Peter, I can't have you sitting on the sidelines. There's a game to play. Peter, you've got to step up. Gospel's about to spread to the ends of the earth, and I want to use you. Now go and serve and be my disciple. I just died on the cross to take all your sins away, even your guilt. Leave it there. Leave it at the cross. And walk in my freedom. While only Jesus can forgive you, only Jesus can forgive us. Yet we need to respond to that forgiveness with a renewed sense of fear of the Lord that compels us to obedience. All the blessings David speaks of in this psalm, they belong to those who are willing to obey or willing to follow Jesus. Listen to the different uh, um, instances of this. Verse 11, so great, it, so great his steadfast love to those who fear him. 
The fear here is a good thing. Not like the fear of you're, you're afraid to be hit, but it's a good sense of a fear of God, and it, it makes you want to obey and follow him. Verse 17, But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Again, the same thing, but then he goes on. And his righteousness to his children's children who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. It's not enough to just fear, but it needs to lead to obedience. It's a way that we show our gratitude, our our thanks for this incredible gift of love and compassion and forgiveness. Verse 21, bless the Lord all his hosts, his ministers who do his will, which is all of us. David wants you to ask yourself, am I experiencing this forgiveness of my my sins? Has God satisfied me with good things? Have I experienced God as compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love? Have I experienced God that way? And if you haven't, then it's time to come to the cross. Lay your sins down at the cross and leave them there. Leave your guilt there. And let's walk in the freedom of Jesus. Let's embrace his amazing love. You know, forgiveness, it's not something you can earn. It's nothing we deserve. It's a gift from God. God forgave you because of who he is. Because because of his compassion for you. It's not because of us or the things that we've done. God forgives us of our sins because God is good, not that we're good. God has forgiven you in Jesus. That means the shackles of of guilt that you're wearing around your ankles or your arms or your heart, those shackles have been opened a long time ago. Jesus unlocked them. And so why carry them around anymore? Why not take them off your ankles, your feet, your heart, and walk in the freedom of of Jesus. And then show him your gratitude by living in the freedom of Christ Jesus. It's not enough to just know about that freedom. We've got to live it. And when you truly lay your sins and your guilt at the cross of Jesus, you can walk in that freedom. And you can know without a doubt that even the mistakes you've made, God will turn them into good, says Romans 8, right? Romans 8, 28. God will use all things for your good, the good and the bad, all things. And so you don't have to feel that guilt anymore. Lay it down and walk in Christ's freedom. As David reflects on the salvation of the Lord, his love and forgiveness and compassion, Listen again to how he ends his psalm and really inviting all of creation to join him in in praising the Lord. And may this give a voice to our own thoughts this morning, to your own heart. Hearing that Jesus has forgiven you and taken that guilt away with David, may we say, bless the Lord all his hosts, his servants who do his will. Bless the Lord all his works everywhere in his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's pray. Bless the Lord, 
Oh, my soul. Father, we praise you this morning for your gift of love, your, your forgiveness, your compassion. Lord, it's new every morning. Lord, you never grow tired of us. You never want to wash your hands of us. Your love is a constant. Forgive us, Lord, when we listen to the lies of the evil one, when we allow that guilt to, to drive us, often driving us away from you, keeping us from serving you, from using our gifts faithfully. Father, may we embrace this gift that we've received in Jesus. And may we join David, not just today as we talk about this, but every day in praising you and worshiping you and blessing your name. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.